3: Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that doesn't train enough to be off the front. Trains just enough to avoid being off the back. And is pretty much simply being happy just to be a part of the group. This is the pack filler. Do you like that new intro? I'm just I'm tired of coming up with something new. Maybe I'm i I'm getting you know, lax in my old age or something like that, but I'm just trying to shoot for a generic intro. So I'll keep I guess just trying to do something like that until you guys tell me that one works or this one sucks. I don't know. Hey you guys, I'm Pat Bolger. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Pack Packbiller Podcast. Before I begin, huge thanks to Noon. It is strange that I should mention Noon today, NoonLife.com, because I just got a sh- great shipment of all things, actually all things grape from Noon today. Apparently I was on some sort of a grape kick or craving. I was jonesing for the grape when I placed my recent, recent order. I just got a box to my doorstep today with a cool free water bottle, in case you didn't know, they're doing nice... um those, you know, the new water bottles that are, that are better nozzles on them, considering I have all the old stuff around here. But uh, free bottle in it and eight tubes of everything grape. Uh, noon electrolytes, grape flavor for training, and Noon energy for staying awake after 3 o'clock. And so uh, thanks to Noon, noonlife.com. Get over to uh, packfiller.com, click on the logo, get over there. And apparently their new special is they're giving away a bottle with everything. So if you're, if you're short on bottles, might not be a bad idea. If you got more bottles than you can shake a stick at, boy, did I sound old there. I don't know. Maybe you could use a new one. Those old ones are probably pretty nasty. You know, you don't rinse them out enough. You know, you're that person. Or they're so old that, you know, it still has the, the lid on it that removes and just is on the little plastic thing. Remember those? Remember those, the bidon, or however you pronounce them? I have to ask the Bellaminati guys how to pronounce those. Oh, Anyway, thanks to noon. Also, I got to mention, you guys, the pack filler kit order is coming up here from Castelli. If you want to get in on that, please do. Uh, May 5th, I think I've I've just made the decision, I guess, right now to extend the order to May 5th. Cinco de Mayo is when we're going to place that order from Castelli. Uh, Podio, jersey, and bib shorts, lowest price they offer. I'm serious. The lowest price they offer. I think it's like $69 and $79. And this is Castelli shit, you guys. It's good stuff and um we have three designs up there I think we have some women's designs up there too because I, I got some people asking me why the hell I didn't include women's designs uh, we do have to hit of course the minimum but I think we'll do it it's like 10 you know I, I think I got 10 people listening to the show if you get there uh go to the to get there go to the packfiller.com website sign in uh, click on the link I've got a link there I've got pictures of the Of the kits, there's a pink, there's the classic green, and then there's this new white kit, the generic kit, which we're just calling the beer kit, because if you look at the back of it, it has actual beer bottles on it. I know. Quirky, right? Who'd who'd have thought? Beer and and bikes. You're welcome. That's my genius. Um, But uh, you click on that. You sign in. you got to just include an email address just so they can send... Well, I'll probably send you emails, but they'll they'll definitely be able to get the order to you and tell you all these things that are going on. And it ships straight to you. It doesn't come to me and then I ship it to you or anything like that. There's no middleman here. You're dealing with Costelli directly. I'm not making a fucking penny off of any of this stuff because I just want to see people out there on the in the kit because I think it's fun. I think I love the generic idea because when you you look down over the pack and you got guys who are just generic, you know, pack filler that doesn't have a name on the jersey, just says pack filler. Get it? Okay, I'm not on my A-game today. But, um, but but you know, order up if you want some. I think it's going to be fun. And as I think I promised every time, if everybody I see for the first time in their kit, so if I know you and I've seen you like 10 times, this doesn't apply. But the first time I see you, I owe you a beverage of your choice. I'm a man of my word, and I will come through on that. I shit you not. So anyway, podcast. You guys, I might sound a little weird today, I, I just, it's, what time is it? 4.55 on a Wednesday. And if, if I sound a little out of it, I am a little out of it. I have hit the wall. I look out the window here in my studio room, and it is the most beautiful day I have seen in Spokane, Washington, since September. It is pushing 80 degrees here. And if you live in this area, you know that 80 degrees doesn't happen in April. And, um... I don't want to ride today. Here I am in a cycling podcast. I don't want to ride today. I don't know. Perhaps it's work. Maybe it's the jump in temperature, the big jump. You know, Usually we're around the 50s, 60s this time of year. Or perhaps I'm just a complete shithead curmudgeon. I've just been in one of those grumpy asshole moods all day today. I, I got mad at my doctor today. And I couldn't even, and and, and and my doctor wasn't even in the room, wasn't even in front of me. My doctor was supposed to prescribe uh, you know, a prescription for me. Uh, I'm supposed to be doing a round of antibiotics. It's personal. I won't talk to you about it, but I'll just mention it on the podcast. And I couldn't fucking find it. She phoned it in, and I told her where my pharmacy was, and I went to the pharmacy a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't there. I went to the pharmacy last week and it wasn't there, and I went to the pharmacy today, and it wasn't there, and I thought, okay, maybe it's at the other, I go to a Rite Aid, it's a drugstore, and I thought, maybe it's at the other Rite Aid down the, you know, about five miles down the road, I drive down to that Rite Aid, no, it's not there, so I got, i I lost my shit, you guys. I was, I was honestly, I think I called my wife and I, I used the word fuck about five times in the phone call. And she's probably sitting there, sitting in, off, in her office going, Jesus Christ, why are you so mad at me? It's just antibiotics, dude, lighten up. Oh, shit. I don't know. It's just, it's one of those days where I just want to punch everybody in the balls. And I'm losing my shit over stupid stuff. And you know what my problem is? My problem is simple. I should be riding. I should have come home. I should have got my bike. I should have even got my mountain bike maybe even and just gone out and got this crap out of my head. But do you ever get that phase, especially for cyclists, do you ever get that phase when you're like, I only have an hour. That's not, not really enough time to bother. I guess I'll just mow the lawn and have the beer. And, and that's where I am right now. And I thought, because, besides, I recorded this interview with today's guest uh, last weekend, and I'm going, shit, i got to get that podcast out because, you know, it's, it's timely information. <laughs> but it is. It's actually good information. And and, and here, this intro is probably insulting my guest today, but that's just the mind frame I'm in. And, and my question is, is an hour really worth it? Yes, we have our recovery rides. And I know that Chris Carmichael has the... And everybody's coaching talks about... Even today's guest could probably talk about the high-intensity interval training. In my mindset, if I would have gone out for a high-intensity ride, I would have probably thrown my bike off of a cliff the first time I got tired and I didn't get to the top of the hill fast enough or something like that. And then if you go out for an easy spin, sure, that's an easy spin. You know, it's clear in the head. But when you're grumpy, a car cuts you off, and all of a sudden, you're postal. That is a lot of references going postal now that we're dealing with the cycling thing is an hour really worth it that's where running has the advantage although i uh, you i know you what you're thinking jesus pat has lost his shit he's he's actually mentioning running a running in a, an hour running is a good workout in my personal opinion an hour on the bike it's like meh it's, it's not really enough yeah that side that was fatigue. I'm in this seasonal time at work, too, where basically I am screwed on training for about three weeks. I, I, I got high stress. I've got long hours. I've got no training. And, of course, I've got affordable and delicious beer in the fridge, and so that equals some loss in fitness. I sit down in front of the news. The news pisses me off. And so then the next thing I know, I've got two beers in me. Oh. Speaking of bad news, did you guys hear about Lance? Settled. five Five million. I think it was five million. I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to vent on that too much. I I I don't think my show's about that, so I won't. But speaking of staying motivated, <laughs> today's guest is is Craig Endum, founder of Cycle University in Seattle. Been passionate about cycling for a long time. I, I he actually I he actually recalls us racing together and 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 which is fairly flattering. So um it's gonna be nice to to hear what what Craig had to say and although I'm basically lying to you because I've already recorded the entire interview, it's just freaking me out because my my phone is ringing in my pocket and my Apple watch rings at the same time you want to hear want to hear should we hear what the phone's about Hello hello shit it was my wife. She probably was wondering if I'd killed anybody yet. No, she's, I think we're out of dog food or something like that. She probably wants me to go get it, which should really put me in a great state of mind, right? Because it's not my fault the dog's out of food, it's her fault. <laughs> Jesus. You guys, let's talk to Craig Gundam on the Packville podcast. All right, you guys, today's guest has done it all. He's raced at the elite level of practically every discipline that starts with throwing your leg over a top tube. World Championships in Cyclocross, World Cup and Mountain Bike, second in the U.S. Criterium Championships. He has even spent time on the track as well as triathlon, and now is the head coach and founder of Seattle Cycle University. Let's welcome to the show, Craig Gundam. How are you, sir?
0: Good, Pat. Good to talk to you. Hey, Thanks for that nice intro. Well,
3: that's yeah,
0: uh, the, the bills, the checks in the mails here,
3: right? So, <laughs> hey, you yeah. spent your days, um, I always like to start with my, my perspective piece. You spent your days motivating and, and spreading your passion for cycling. How, what started you? What was, the, what was it that got you excited and ignited in terms of cycling?
0: Yeah, you know, I grew up out in the woods, out in Gig Harbor, uh, wa- Washington deep in the woods I mean the nearest store was five miles and um, the only way my buddies and I could see each other would be to ride our bikes through these dirt trails through grade school and uh, into junior high and that's that was my initial love of the bike is like this case way like a lot of people back in the old days <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it would, would ride around to get places as a kid or ride uh, school was too far um, but you know we'd at least ride around so I fell in love with the bike early and um then you know got busy driving and f- forgot about it and then i got into college at the u and all of a sudden I'm in seattle the big city and um kind of feeling oppressed and you know just hampered by all the rules and all the congestion and then i had a friend uh brian blue who's doing this in he was trying trans triathlon thing so he was right. riding around he goes you should get a bike And so i got a bike started chasing him around. And they're like, this is the Burke Gilman trail. It's like, this is awesome. You can ride forever. And we'd go out there and just try to kill each other with a couple of other <laughs> buddies. And that kind of set the hook. It's like, okay, this is fun. Um, fun chasing guys around. And, and then I kind of started to haunt the bike shops, R and and Greg's bike, Greg's green Lake. Oh yeah. And, uh, had some other buddies kind of get into it. We formed a little club in college and, uh, I then from there, I, I just kind of fell in love with it. After I got done with college, I decided I could do a lot of things. But what I really love is, is this bike stuff. So, um, at that time I'd read about the, uh, the red zinger classic oh, yeah. in, in Colorado. And that's, it's like, wow, this is the biggest race in the U S. And I wrote them a letter actually to try to see if they could pay me to come and help out with the race. They go, well, no, there's no money. Of course, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can come for free and, and, and work at the race um and uh you know come to Colorado so eventually I got done with college and I went to Colorado and I started racing my bike there and just uh that was 1986 okay. and uh man just been after it ever since
3: Now you've gone from multitude of disciplines and and how did your career evolve from one to another was it just
0: go yeah. Oh, yeah yeah <laughs> a short attention short attention span <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, back, your name's familiar to me back, uh, you know, in, in the days of the Washington trust classic in Spokane and, (laughs) um, race and road around here in the eighties. And, uh, so I, you know, I got on that path and like a lot of people took it too far (laughs) too quickly. And, uh, you know, I kind of burned out. So essentially I would, I would do something like I got into road, did it super hard for three years and then crashed and burned and. You know, I I learned a ton and um, then I like a lot of people in cycling, I go, well, I should probably go get a real job and <laughs> I would go back to grad school or I would think about getting married. I start that real life. And then all of a sudden I'd realize that, wait, wait a second, I'm, I'm miserable again. I got to start right. riding my bike. So I'd ride my bike and then all of a sudden mountain biking kind of showed up and I rode mountain bikes right when it was just kind of taken off as the pro level. It's like, well, you can make money. So I went right to the pro level of mountain biking. And did that for three years and traveled the country with, you know, the homegrown Schwinn team with Dale Knapp and um, okay. out of Greg's Green Lake. And then um, kind of burned out on that. And it was just done crashing and sucking at mountain biking <laughs> and uh, trying to make a living at it. And uh, and then cyclocross kind of showed up and go, oh, this is it. This is perfect. You know, i got the best of all worlds. you got the off road stuff. You've got the road yeah. kind of tactical aspect. and you know, growing up where I grew up, out in the woods in Gig Harbor, it's like, oh, you're out in the woods, just, you know, farting around on your bike and doing hot laps and seeing if you can not crash, going through sketchy stuff. You know, so I, I cross kind of won me over big time. And I doubled down on that, and did that for three years and took it as far as I could. And then, you know, I started having some problems with my digestion and my body just started to kind of fail a little bit because I was. Turns out I had this allergy to wheat and oh, I didn't wow. realize it. Um, so I started to kind of get sick towards the end of, uh, my racing, which kind of knocked me out of racing and that kind of brought me right into coaching.
3: So was, was that a a pretty, was there any coaching prior to it or was it just kind of like, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I've built up this, this library of knowledge. Now it's time to maybe get into it. Or was that something that just kind of, you had been dabbing in, uh, dabbling
0: in, sorry, a little
3: bit beforehand.
0: Yeah. You know, back then in the eighties, coaching, or even the 90s, coaching yeah. was just kind of a, a super, it was kind of the club level where I would just kind of ask a guy's, I think there's one guy, Ryan Perlman, who was working with me at REI, and he would ride his bike every day, and it's like, because I've been around the block enough, I would just say, Ryan, what are you doing? I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, why don't you try doing this? And I started to you know, naturally coach him, Yeah. and then he you know, would win some races, and then the next guy would hear about it. and um, So it started off, you know, while I was racing. And then I was always older because a lot of the juniors, I didn't put my leg over a a racing bike till I was 24. Oh, wow. Okay. So I started super late, kind of missed the early train. So I was kind of trying to play catch up and I was always the oldest guy on the team and kind of naturally the elder statesman to kind of organize things. And um, (laughs) so I was kind of in that role pretty early. Um, And that kind of, you know, just kind of naturally, and it's always been kind of a a little dream of mine. I mean, just to kind of coach and advise people you know, on fitness and health. That was kind of something I've always loved is, is being active. And so it kind of was a natural.
3: Throughout throughout your career, were you pretty much self-coached? Was it kind of a trial and error or was it, you know, did you have somebody kind of giving you pointers along the way?
0: Yeah, you know, um, the cool thing back in the day in the 80s was if you were an okay cat 4 you probably remember this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could be uh, invited to the Olympic Training Center. Yeah. And I spent, you know, two winters at the Olympic Training Center going through their selection and their development camps. And that was super cool. Um, You had the national team coaches and, um, you know, you're living there for three weeks or six weeks at a time and getting advice. And they're, you know, doing underwater swimming drills, you know, (laughs) if you remember all the crazy stuff they'd have you do. But they're trying to find the next Greg Lamond at that time. Yeah. And so they're going through everybody. And back then they had, you know, just kind of, they'd run you through the, the ramp tests. And the, so you got coaching right there. And they would kind of advise you and say, well, you know, if you want to take this further, here's what you got to do. And and then come back next year and see if you can take it further. So I got that kind of coaching right away. And, you know, what sparked me initially, I would say on the racing side, was watching the 84 Olympics with Alexi
2: yeah.
0: uh, winning the, that road race. And I just like, oh, my God, that that's amazing. I, I got to try that. Um, and I want that. I want that national team Stars and Bars jersey. You know. Okay. Uh, fell in love with it. And then, um, you know, then I the Olympic Tra- Training Center was some initial coaching. And then I came back to Seattle after kind of being traveling around and just starting racing. And there was a team forming then called Granny's Gourmet Muffins. Oh, and,
3: God, um, you're hitting me with the nostalgia
0: is just <laughs> smacking me in the face. Uh, bring it you back there? yet?
3: Oh God, yes, yeah. If you meant the Olympic sports team or something, what was this? is that what it was? There was yeah, club. Olympic yeah. sports.
0: Oh, oh man, on, those God. guys were the powerhouse. Yeah. they were like they're like the quick step of the Northwest. Oh man, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was kind of the legend. Yeah, I mean, there was like Steve Smith and yeah, Paul Dahlke and oh yeah, uh, you know. All, and you were right in there. You're probably still you're a little younger than me, aren't you? You're coming up. I'm forty eight. Yeah. Yeah. So. so you were you were just coming out. Did you and you raced as a junior, right? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah.
3: And yeah. you know, guys like Kirk Willett and all those guys were guys yeah. I grew up with and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> if I drop any more names, I'm going to sound really shallow, but um
0: <laughs> we don't want to take it down the, the rabbit hole. Yeah, oh
3: god. No, when you said Granny's muffins, I just I saw the jersey and I went, "Holy shit. I forgot yeah. about that." Yeah, it's yeah. just like a f- acid flashback of some sort. Um yeah.
0: So, yeah, so to, to finish, I mean, I had a coach there, Todd Starnes, and Todd was a great coach. And he kind of and also inspired me and coached me all through my granny's uh, racing. Um, so, yeah, I had, I had some good mentors and coaches yeah. that were high, you know, high quality professional level coaches.
3: So racing career and going from discipline to discipline, was this was it OK? I'm just focusing specifically on cross and I'm not going to do anything else. Or were you just a. Just, I'm a cyclist and I'm racing these races this year, but I'm still, I'm still training all year round. I I mean, I guess because to talk to somebody who's, you know, you, especially back in some of those days, you had to kind of specialize in, in Mm. a discipline in order to be successful at it. But you kind of seem to go, well, I'm going to go this way for a while, this way for a while. And it seemed to work out.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I would focus singularly on one thing, you know, it was first road and I did road, Mm. you know, to the ultimate that I was able to do it and burned, burned out on it and threw my bike off a bridge kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I went to mountain bike and I was pure on the mountain bike. I would just double down, crashed all over, you know, and just learned how to mountain bike and sucked for a while and finally got okay by the end. And then same with cyclocross. So I was very singularly focused and that was, I think part of the luck of being a little bit older is I did have the maturity to know that, Okay, I need to, you know, absolutely all in on one thing if I'm yeah. going to be good at it. Because, you know, when you're an older guy, all your other friends have jobs and they're making money and they're getting married, and you're still some bike bum, you know, <laughs> um, living I don't, the dream and I out there don't see living anything wrong with Volkswagen, yeah, with you know the Ted Bundy style with the <laughs> passenger seat taken out and yeah. you know driving around the country. Your friends are just shaking their head, going, "What are you doing, dude?" <laughs> um, so I had to, you know, try to make good on it and that, you know, I put pressure on myself to try to be a real pro and um, try to take each discipline as far as I could. So I only did one at a time. Um, But of course, each one kind of built on itself. So road was a great foundation. And then mountain biking was the off road and the skill set to handle the bike, which you don't always get on the road. And then cyclocross kind of put it all together into super high intensity, you know, bike handling and fitness and the whole package. So it was actually great. And I dabbled on the track, but, you know, just as a little bit of training, but that was great. Um, so I, long story short, I was pretty singularly minded when I was racing a certain, you know, to be successful at it. Cause you know, it's tough.
3: Oh yeah. So tell me how cycle university came to be.
0: Yeah. So I was, um, uh, done racing. I kind of had that allergy that I didn't know. It kind of tore me up. So I quit racing and, um, Jim Brown, who, was kind of my first real client he's he started rad racing the big junior yeah. team and jim was a good you know master's level racer and he goes i craig i want to win the state championship so i want to pay you to uh to coach me and uh so i started the coaching thing then and, and it just kind of grew from there um and then carmichael had started his company and i knew yeah. chris from when i was briefly on the national team and went to europe and so, um, I worked with Chris for three years doing his camps and working with him and coaching a lot of clients. And then I had a kid and didn't want to do the traveling and be out, you know, trying to coach 50 people at a time. Yeah. Um, so I go, I'm just going to do my own thing. What I really enjoyed out of all my experiences was teaching people, you know, how to do a pace line, um, teaching people, you know, how to, um, climb hills and how to descend and how to handle their bike and how to, you know, basically like a golf golf pro or a tennis coach you know um kind of taking that same idea to cycling um because i i was working i've been in the in in the industry and um what i really didn't like is seeing people fail at cycling you know see people try it have bad luck or have a bad experience and then we don't see them again so the goal was to be a very inclusive university that anybody could join no credentials required (laughs) and uh we would teach you to be a better cyclist and so that started I think 14 years ago this wow. month.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, and, and so tell me what makes it, I guess, its own entity, what makes it uh, different than something other than me personally signing up, finding a coach and doing something like that. You've got facilities, you've got, I mean, all these types of things that you offer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we got two studios and, you know, it started off, um, you know, in a small space and started off with coaching clients because back then that was the, the model and then we started to do these classes and I would bring people out and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to teach pe- people how to race. And so I advertised it, I'd get, you know, 10, 15 people. And it turned out all 10 or 15 were over the age of 40. Yeah. Cause they had the money to pay for this kind of thing. And they had the time. And right away, I, I realized that the young, you know, the guys that are the up and comers, like the new pro level potential racers are, are, you know, are probably not going to take a class. They're probably just going to go out and do it. Yeah. So I started to develop this curriculum to help normal people um, who wanted to be fast riders and live like a racer or um, handle their bike like a pro and really be a good good rider learn those skills. And so we started doing these classes, and I've been doing. That's kind of the foundation of what we do. Um, and so it's again kind of like a ski school where we actually go out and have this curriculum of classes that kind of walk you through everything from. I mean, I just taught a kid how to ride today, how to balance and, you know, start riding. Um, I had a junior team workout today where we did a rotating pace line uh, over the 520 bridge and had kids on that um, up to, you know, how to, how to tuck and roll in a crash and not break your collarbone Um, and working with, uh, you know, all the way up to racing level. And we teach these racing classes still that kind of give you upgrade points and teach you the fundamentals of, of, uh, of how to race. And so. You know, that's kind of the, the, the real difference is, you know, it's hands-on. And, you know, there's a lot of probably other cycling coaches that could do that. But it's something we've really honed down to a step-by-step kind of process to teach you, for instance, how to stand up on a climb. Okay, what do you have to do to learn how to stand up and climb correctly on the bike? You know, all that stuff you kind of take for granted. Yeah. Um, yeah well,
3: But, no, I mean, I God, it's, I, I keep thinking about some of these things, and I do remember specific uh, – Lessons, I guess we could say, uh growing up, you talk about standing up and, I t- and when you 're sitting back down the the concept of actually bringing the bike forward rather than you mm-hmm. know sp- bringing your body backwards, talk about crashing. I remember doing tumbling exercises in a gym to do those types of things yeah, so. and I guarantee you there are very few people who are learning those lessons yeah. in in the sport today, and so that 's that's that's pretty damn cool that you guys are taking a lot of that into account and that you've I, I guess you've developed the curriculum I guess we could say now is mm-hmm. it is it all kind of hands on is there are there classroom style environments or what is the what is the process here
0: Yeah yeah for the outside stuff you know we have two locations we have a West Seattle location and a Seattle location and um, we'll meet at both and I'll I'll do everything from private lessons with people. And we'll meet in here we'll talk about it sometimes we start on the trainer we've got at this uh facility i'm at now in sand point um north seattle we've got a a three-tiered stage with 20 compu trainers with a massive high-def screen and so we do these indoor classes and we can you know i could throw sufferfest videos up and and coach somebody through the elements of style and how to pedal correctly and look at their bike fit and um you know, I also have a mechanic here who does a lot of upgrades because, you know, it's so critical, as you know, to fit your bike correctly and be mm-hmm. sure you've got the gears you need and all that stuff. So we kind of go a little bit soup to nuts where we will, you know, take a, a brand new rider coming in with a, a new bike and they'll want to take it further. And we could um, we have a mechanic that can take care of do the mechanical stuff. I can do some bike fitting. We have, you know, indoor classes when it's crummy out that we have outdoor options uh, to take it outside and, and learn um, from there. So we kind of two and the other studio in West Seattle is a little smaller. It's in the basement of the West side bicycles location, right over the bridge in West Seattle. And that's, uh, um, we've got 12 compu trainers in the basement there and we do classes almost every day. And those go from October till May. And, um, then we kind of head outside, you know, next week's our last class and then kind of ride outside and do outdoor stuff all summer.
3: It's I gotta I gotta get blunt with you. Is this this is just the equipment things you're talking about and the personnel you're talking about? Um, is is this a successful model? I mean, because you guys mm-hmm. have a lot going on, and holy shit, it's a dream come true to what what it sounds like for an opportunity to teach the sport. I hope you guys are getting the demand and the clientele.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's surprising to me, really. Still, you know, you know, in the days of Zwift and yeah. Uh, You know, there's so much out there, but I think what people like and it it continues to blow my mind um, is that they kind of if you're a new writer now, like back in the day, our only sources of information were magazines and you could find a few books. Yeah. But when I started in 1984 (laughs) to kind of find out what cycling was, there was like. Three books.
3: <laughs> yeah, Eddie B's, um, and right. maybe Lamont's book was out there at the time. And I don't yeah. know what the hell else was
0: it. Maybe an old copy of Velo News, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and now, you know, you've got 10,000 million videos you could watch yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And people walk in with these kind of harebrained concepts because they've, they, you know, they find something. And so, you know, it's it's confusing, I think. I think yeah. people are confused because you can find just so much contradictory information out there um so they they like coming to you know i think a proven someone they can talk to and work at their level um so you know a lot of times it'll start with a bike fit they'll come in i've been bike fitting a long time and and they'll they'll see the studio they'll ask questions and oh pretty soon they'll sign up for a class and they want to work on you know training for a trip to europe they want to maybe get started you know trying to chase their neighbor around and try to go faster <laughs> you know try racing and um, and then we just kind of have this suite of of uh, of offerings and services we can provide. And um, so, yeah, the answer. I kind of took a detour to kind of backtrack. I, I opened a specialized shop in West Seattle, so I kind of took a, a retail detour for about six years. <laughs> 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 Which the retail thing you, you've discussed it on other podcasts. It's it's difficult, um, and the whole local bike shop thing. And, oh, and yeah. I I hung that up a couple years ago. I'm back to coaching, but. Um, yeah, the coaching and the, and the services and classes, um, do pretty well.
3: Wow. And, and what's, what's the average clientele like? Is it, do you see a lot of young kids coming in or is it this, as we see in, in cycling becoming this demographic of this middle-aged man?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, we have a lot of gray hair as our clientele, (laughs) (laughs) including mine. Uh, you know, I'm 55, so now I can relate well to the, a little bit older demographic and, uh, um. So in our indoor classes, you know, we've got a mix, though. We've got, you know, the Husky cycling team comes in and does our workouts. Um, we've got even juniors. Like We have a junior team with about 30 kids on it. Oh, and wow. you're going to see, you know, 15-year-olds in some of the classes. And and then it's all the way up. It's all the way up to 75-year-olds, 80-year-olds, um, Ironman competitors that are coming in for the classes. And But I would say that, you know, the average would be, you know, 40 to 60. Yeah. Uh, professional and, and using cycling as a hobby, um, might get into some racing. It might get into some, you know, ramrod, super hard, you know, death ride type activities and rides, and, um, we can help them with that stuff. So, uh, that's, that's the basic demographic. So a lot of women too, I'll say on on, social, on the bike fitting side and so you know, women are smarter than men. So they'll actually, uh, pay for advice and, and, (laughs) Well, yeah,
3: I mean, I know a lot of people who get into the sport and just do it you know, by trial and error. And I, as you're saying, it's sad to see some of those people disappear from the sport. Um, I talk a lot on this show about the state of cycling and predominantly road cycling in, in this country and how things have been, uh, you know, the pendulum shifts. You know, in the 80s, we were huge. In the 90s, you know, it went to the mountain. And, and now we're kind of at this crossroads. Um, I don't know what you see from your perspective as a coach in in a pretty happy cycling community uh, in terms of what's going on. But how do you see things happening for the sport and where it's headed right now?
2: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: You know, I'm kind of a eternal optimist. So, I, and I also, I, I've honed down what I do. I, you know, I bang my head against, you know, some things like, you know, trying to get national team member, you know, coach somebody and get them on the national team and go to the world championships, um, and play some of those games that are less in your control. And I've kind of come back to being more local and grassroots and more focused on the things that are working, you know, um, for us, cyclocross works really well. Yeah. You know, anybody can show up and, you know, I just had this new kid. I just, you know, he's, he's eight years old, just taught him how to ride today with his family. (laughs) And it's like, here's here's a cyclocross thing it's going on and you know you can come right around and there's a hundred other kids doing it you know so it's great entry point it's super strong in the northwest um so the cyclocross is a huge bright spot so that's that's kind of where we're focusing a lot of our energy on on the future you know because it's very accessible and um it's great for families and kids that you know the mountain bike thing is the other bright spot you know that and in Washington, the Washington Student League is yeah. on fire. I mean, they got so many junior high and high school kids uh, getting exposed to cycling and bike racing, um, huge positive. And I, 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 I'm i still optimistic that that's going to turn into some road racers. Um, you know, we do have some junior road racers. There's not that many. Um, and I, I'm thinking it's still cyclical. I know there's some some headwinds to getting road racing back to where it was in the heyday but um i think with modifications you know the the promoters are are modifying their venues are making it easier on themselves by not doing these more extravagant bigger destinations and then you have host towns like wenatchee and other you know all these cities that are doing a good job at having these more marquee events yeah so even though it's you know overall it feels like the road you know the, the women's side of the road thing has been kind of disheartening and I've been asking a lot of women, you know, what we can do to kind of fix that because it was going like gangbusters and crazy. There'd be a hundred women, you know, at a lot of races in the beginner category like seven years ago in Seattle. And now it's really tailed off and I don't know where they all went, you know? So, um, there's, there's pluses and minus. So I'd say overall, I feel like it's, it's on the upswing, but it's definitely, um, very segmented and ju- there's certain pockets that are doing well and certain pockets that are um, Not doing as well as you know. Yeah,
3: cross and cross seems to be the way in cross seems to be something that's doing so well right now um, We have a lot of these sports and I you know I probably said it ad nauseum on the show before where you've got a new rider who goes into a crit gets in gets dropped and then two laps later is pulled that's a pretty yeah. damn depressing way to get into bike racing. If you go to a cross race, you could probably get out there and suffer all day and have a great time and probably have a big glass of beer at the end and everybody's partying yeah. and, and, and enjoying that. So it's, it's that atmosphere that seems to be um, either there or not there anymore. Um, I recently read an article blaming Fondos, blaming Strava, blaming yeah. Zwift and other alternatives for the decline of racing. D- um, y- you know, you mentioned Sufferfest videos. Uh, Dave McQuillan and the Sufferfest crew are great friends of mine, and I've been friends yeah. with the show for a long time. Do you have any thoughts on these, These, I guess we could call them, alternatives to actually racing and if they are helping or hindering the sport?
0: Mm. Yeah, I to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I know Strava is a net positive in my mind. I mean, Strava is great. Yeah. Like everyone can get on Strava and start and I'll say, well, you know, just compare yourself on these climbs and you can see your progress. It's fantastic. It, you know, quantifies everything. And part of that's part of the game and that gets people outside as well. So Strava, yeah. super great. And then there's the whole indoor thing, which in, you know, any climate where indoor is conducive, you know, indoor is going to be really compelling and a big part of it. And then I, I, I don't really know, you know, I, I see people really going, a lot of our clientele is excited, are excited about gravel grinders and, um, they're still doing the century rides and, and they're doing some racing, but the, you know, not that many people are excited about road racing. It's a smaller, more hardcore, um, practically feels like a a more techie, uh, community in Seattle. And it's, you know, I, I, teach these, Racing clinics. I have another one this Tuesday, and I'll I'll get twenty five people out to it, and I'll you know show them the fundamentals of racing, and you know they're all mostly all in their twenties, but we get some in the forties, some in the fifties, a little bit older. So it's definitely has a lot of interest still, um, but it's uh, and then and then but their only the game in town is is the Pacific Raceway, is the car racing track, yeah. Um, or Seward Park, and then the weekend you've got to travel to a big destination race. And they're great races, but you've got to, you know, go a two or three-hour drive to get to them.
1: Yeah,
3: and Johnny's got a soccer game that we have to go to or something like that. So, yeah, it takes a big chunk out of it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and I've heard of – I've I've talked with other coaches on the show who have a lot of athletes who are simply just want to get out there and beat the shit out of their their friends on the weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, It's just – you know, and I, I, as, as a road racer and as somebody who also participates in the other disciplines, um, it, it I, I just, I don't know. I, I want to see things happening and things growing. And I think it needs to be a concerted effort in terms of, uh, race promoters, race directors with USA cycling and try to bring something together that we can have a, a bit more of a grassroots style of a program. But as you say, you know, you're talking about the tracks in Seward Park where we can definitely get a closed road. It's it's really hard to put together anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but I think people love it, though. I mean, I look at the, the number of people out at these controlled, nice venues like the car racing tracks. Yeah. And you know, I don't think it's that bad a deal. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's cool to have the road race, but it, it's you're not going to have your wife and kids – I mean, you might, you know, waiting at the finish line for an hour per lap, yeah. you
3: know. Yeah. See you, Dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. We're in the middle <laughs> right. of nowhere and we're going to sit in the car and play our iPhones for about four hours until you show yeah. up again. No, I understand. I agree. And I think I think we as a sport, we as athletes might need to evolve. And, and you're starting to see some things where maybe, yeah, maybe we do have to do more enclosed areas because they're just, it's tough to get rows closed. Yeah. So, in terms of technology, also, um, I, I'm sure you run into some of this stuff. In terms of what do I need to get faster? What do I need to get better? I talk about cycling being a, a starting out as a every man, every woman sport, but now is extremely expensive. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've got athletes coming up to you saying, "How soon do I have to have a power meter?" Yeah, you know, wait, you don't even know how to clip into your shoes yet, but you <laughs> you already have a power meter. Um, yeah. Is Are there specific elements of technology that you see as helping? And someone's where you're like, maybe we don't need these things right now?
0: Yeah. Yeah, another good question there. It's like, and that's really specific to the person. If you get someone over the age of 40, yeah. a, lot, a lot of times they're not going to, unless they're an engineer, you know, then if you get, you know, somebody who's really number focused, you know they're all in on this they're they love and more numbers the better so um that person even though they just bought their first bike they're probably going to get a power meter on it um and then you've got people um that are really serious about their training that want the guidance and and the and the power is nice for that i mean all of our workouts are power-based we actually started using heart rate again um for our more of our endurance sets indoors this last winter but um you know it's nice to have something to be able to really tell somebody what to do with you know it's kind of uh, hard to say just kind of based on perceived exertion go ride this hill 5 times
3: yeah
0: uh, you know but it's nice to say keep your heart rate you know between 120 and 140 and go ride the hill 5 times um or keep your power you know in a certain range so it's nice as a coach to be able to be specific with people and i think you know people like it too cuz they could see the results and they can yeah actually see quantify what they're doing and and see the improvement um so that's kind of nice i mean the the garmin computers are great strava is great you know people love coming back and i love it too i mean after a ride you kind of get to what i you know call double enjoy you get to enjoy it while you do it and you come back and you have this cool piece of data you can look at and you know either show off with or just kind of digest and um you know kind of be social see what other people are doing you see somebody it's kind of cool like saw somebody on the, on our ride today. And then I could see them on Strava giving us a kudo, you know, and yeah. kind of back and forth. So it's, it's in a way, I think it's kind of the, the web and the network is, is strengthening the community, definitely connecting it more than it used to be. And the community is pretty big. So I see all that stuff is good. I mean, and, and even you know, I was worried about, you know, the whole indoor thing with, um, uh, Zwift yeah. and that kind of taking business. And it really hasn't because a lot of people who come into our classes, they have the Trainer or the, the Wahoo kicker. And yet they still come into class because they want kind of the, they want the community, they want the yeah. group, they want the coach. Um, and so that's also still been good. You know, I think, uh, well, you know, in, in my mind, like the big frontier is, is creating these events that are going to be more community building. Like we have, you know, in Seattle, we have Ballard crit, um, which is kind of our big marquee event, but it'd be so cool. And there's been always been talk about the dream of having, you know, the Puget sound stage race, Wow. you know, something that would, you know, be a, a marquee event and inspire people kind of. And I think that, you know, like the, the, the ground is fertile for that kind of thing to happen. You know, it's just going to take that right person who can connect the dots and, find the money and, you know, kind of organize the committee and get that going. You know, and so something like that would be, you know, I think it's, it could blow up and be big again, any moment on the road, but. Yeah. yeah.
3: No. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So last thing about those technology and those tools, um, do you recommend somebody race with a power meter and seeing those numbers in the middle of a race or are you going, are you not for it? Just look at the data afterwards.
0: Yeah. I'll generally want people to look at it afterwards because, okay. you know, like you and I come from an era of no data, right?
3: <laughs> like, yeah. I mean my Avicet computer was
0: all I had. <laughs> Yeah. And you're going that feel yeah of pushing yourself, you know, beyond beyond. Yeah. And and I talk, you know, a lot of times to people about learning how to suffer, learning how to push and um and learning how to go beyond what you think you can do. And that's what, you know, the training will take you so far. And then the racing environment needs to finish you and yeah. take you, and so really all your training is just to get ready to race, and then the racing will take you up. And if you're back here looking at your numbers, saying, "Wow, I can't do more than 300 watts yeah. for another minute," and you're starting to do the math on that, that's, <laughs> you know, you're not going to win races that way, yeah. and you're not going to push yourself. And the beauty of racing is it, you know, it's this environment where you can go absolutely crush yourself into oblivion. And then still try to get back on the wheel and stay with you know the move or, or you know or the group and yeah. do it again and again and again. It just kind of keeps building you up. So you don't want to be distracted from that. You want to be in the game. You want to learn how to play that game and learn how to push yourself. So in racing, um, I'm an advocate of learning to to feel it. And sometimes I will have people use electrical tape and block out what they can see on the computer and <laughs> just race.
3: Yeah. Well, I I read somewhere and I could be completely. Wrong, so I'm sure somebody's going to stalk me on the internet and tell me I'm full of crap. But I read somewhere about Taylor Finney in the Perry, in Perry Roubaix pushing 750 watts for about 20 minutes before he got to uh, Arenberg just to keep up with that. And I, I first of all, I'm never going to see 750 watts, you know, <laughs> on the flats. But to you know, if if he were to look down at his computer and say, "Oh my God, this is too much," that would have yeah. been the end of the race for him. And so, you know, and, and I can also understand some triathletes who tend to argue with me and say, you know, I need to be able to maintain a specific pace and specific tempo for an entire distance, so I want those numbers in front of me. Um, So I I guess I could see it both ways, but I've always been a you know, perceived rate and, and go from that way. Maybe it's because I can't afford a power meter, but <laughs> I, I, I've, I've enjoyed yeah. the hell out of it on, on, online, on Zwift, on Trainer Road and stuff like that, where I can see, like you say, improvement numbers. I can go, yeah. wow, I'm faster than I was last time I did this. So it's, it's great to have, but it also doesn't necessarily
0: fix everything. Yeah, and I think there's some disciplines that, and, and some levels where it's more useful than other times. Like you said, if you're doing a, a more steady state event, like a time trial, um, that's useful. Then you just turn it loose the last, you know, 10 minutes. Um, or if you're doing a lot of climbing and it's also an experience thing too, like you're saying, like, if you have that experience and that feel, you can kind of know where that you start to f- know where that edge is intuitively. But if you've only been by the numbers yeah, and then you get in the real world, you, you know, you're kind of flying blind a little bit. You don't really know what you're capable of. And you're, you're having to look at the numbers for validation where you should be going and failing enough where you kind of learn the, those those, uh, those lessons, you know, in the real world. But yeah.
3: So this is, this is my, you know, in a perfect world kind of a thing. If you could wave a magic wand, let's say, and fix everything going on with cycling that might need fixing, are there, is, where would you start in terms of how do we make this sport back to where it needs to be?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to <laughs> mind is that is the clean, the cleanliness of the sport, the doping issue. I mean, it, it just blew everything up, you know, I mean, we were just tearing it up there yeah, (laughs) until the ugly reality of what it takes to win races became apparent, you know? So, I mean, the cleaner the sport can be the better off we are just because then, you know, every parent doesn't hesitate to send their kid. Like now a lot of, you know, the the joke on the junior team is like, yeah, I don't really want any of my juniors to be pros. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I want him to love cycling, yeah. and I want him to be, you know, lifelong enthusiasts of the sport. But what it takes to be a pro is a totally different thing. And so that you know, a number one, if we could clean it up so it's a, you know, the more level the playing field, the better. I know we're it's a work in progress, and but that'd be my first order of business um, is to make that as crystal clean as possible, and being very draconian in in catching anybody and, you know, you know, rectifying that situation. Cause then, you know, then, you know, that with your hard work and your, cause now it's kind of like, why would I work that hard and make those sacrifices? Because you're going to yeah. end up making that ethical choice yeah. typically, you know, that down the road. So, I mean, that kind of shoots the whole thing in the foot as far as the dream and the pathway and kind of the, that vision. So that's got to get, you know, fixed and it's gotten a lot better for sure. But that's the first thing that comes to mind
3: did you ever run into any of that in your career where you were going the people who were definitely a lot slower last year are now absolutely flying off the front this year
0: you know I'm I'm such a bad judge of character that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I could never tell I could never I mean you certainly see that and um but you know I was so fooled by everybody I I mean I I, I was a big, you know, I raced with Lance when he started and, uh, it was just a, a cheerleader just like on the butt. It's like, yeah. awesome. I was so stoked. You know, I'd give talks and, and say, you know, he's doing it because he, he was smarter. He did the recon, he had the Western ways, you know, I mean all that stuff. And God, I just bought it hook, line and sinker. So, um, I was never good enough, you know, to be offered that, you know, that choice. But when I was in Europe racing for the national team, you know, you, you would hear that, it's just necessary, like, you know, to go to the next level, you know, the, you start hearing about how it all works, you know, how they're, they're looking for young racers who have not used any product yet and make it to a certain level. Then they know they can, you know, take you to the next level. Yeah. So you'd hear about it, but I was never directly, uh, you know, approached by anybody or,
3: okay. Yeah. No, it's and uh, no, I agree with you. I uh, if you you can't see me right now, but I had my hand in the air while you were talking about being the judge for character. I was on board, 100%, a hundred percent, a thousand, yes. a thousand percent. I was on board. I was excited. I was loving it, and. um and now you know i guess part of me and i'm not speaking for anybody else on this show but a part of me tends to be a little bitter Mm -hmm. sometimes especially when i see people who are still benefiting from the years they use these substances and might not be racing anymore and are still are still making money off of that career they had and um and then there are other people who who chose not to do it and never received that that windfall that benefit so um but that that's a tough one and then also i'll see you know my my favorite guy, Peter Sagan, you know, crush it and Perry Roubaix, and I'm watching him right away, and I'm going, please be clean, please be clean, please be clean, you know, the entire time. So, I don't know. It, it hopefully we won't have to have that fear someday. I mean, I think we always will. I think there are kids in high school football who are probably doping right now. It's just that cycling's unfortunately the butt of that joke for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's been great. I mean, I, the, the one thing I just you know love Lance for is that we know the story now. I mean, he he took yeah. it so far and it blew up, and now we know the truth, which is great. You know, <laughs> um, so it's gotten way better. Yeah. But, yeah.
3: Okay, so um, I want I want to talk about where you are, based yeah. in Seattle. Been over that way the the entire time. Um, let's talk about what makes Seattle such a viable place for cycle university and for cycling as a sport to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's got a cool culture to it. I, I, I mean, I, it's hard to say, I mean, we have got, um, you know, it's been nurtured here by, you know, guys like Jerry Baker and Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, you know, and Dan Norton and Tim Rutledge and all the track people, uh, you know, Amara Edwards is doing a great job at the velodrome, you know, creating a whole new generation of young riders out there and old riders as well. And, um, and then you've got the tech community, which has really embraced cycling. There's just a lot of people that love cycling, and it's growing. You know, and, and the roads are good. You know, good challenging terrain. And uh, you know, I got Cascade Bike Club, which you know usually probably produces another five thousand riders a year. With wow, you know, people trying to do STP for the first time. That's how I started. Yeah, a um, bunch of college buddies in '85. You know, so they're exposed to it with really good mentorship and ride leadership. There's, you know, every day there's rides. People can, like, I can just plug people into rides and get them started. You know, today on the Burke-Gilman, you know, I'm passed by, you know, two mega groups that Cascade is training for the STP. Um, so you got that. And they're also, you know, creating better roadways and better trail systems. And the Burke-Gilman is just a jewel. You know, these trails are fantastic because anybody can jump on them and, you know, traverse the city pretty safely and they're continually being expanded and, and developed. And there's a new one on the east side in Bellevue. That's, they just opened another section of it this last week, you know, so we got that, you know, good advocacy. Um, you've got, uh, you know, good, you know, huge club as kind of a basis. And, and then you've always had a, you know, a good niche racing community that's been pretty gritty. Um, You know, it's not huge. The road scene is a little small. The cross scene is definitely blowing up. Um, We have nationals here a year from December. It's going to be awesome, Um, and then that's another marquee event, probably the biggest marquee event we've had in a long time. Um, You know, so that's cool, and and you've got a bunch of passionate Europhiles living in Seattle (laughs) that you know drink espresso and like stinky beer and. Like to ride their bike, you know, and you're a product of that, too. I mean, oh, Spokane yeah. is probably the better half of Seattle, really. I mean, <laughs> I, I love Spokane.
3: Well, okay. there You you won me at Stinky Beer, and then you had me <laughs> hook, lane and sinker, and you love Spokane. Uh, what keeps your cycling passion alive? You've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. But what yeah. keeps you going? What keeps that going?
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I was in a slump there for about ten years. Well, I shouldn't say a slump, but I just changed my focus. I went from you know being a racer, yeah. and then I went all in as a coach and did the coaching thing and and took it as far as I could. And then I tried the bike shop thing and took that as far as I could. And then what kind of came out of that, which was cool, out of the the bike shop kind of having to shut that down, was um, Amara Edwards, who runs the the Jerry Baker Velodrome. She mm-hmm. Had started this junior team with these kids, and she left to go run the velodrome and started a teaching career, and so I was kind of forced to take over the junior team. And I, so I started to kind of, you know, I kind of <clears throat> shrugged my shoulders. Okay, I'll go out and I'll kind of help the kids. I bought donuts, you know, so I brought donuts out to the races and we're at <laughs> cyclocross and and uh, you know just treated them like little kids. And what I quickly learned was, you know, I've got a son myself who's 15 now, but this was you know five years, four four or five years ago that these kids were ferocious. Yeah. They're absolute terrorists and animals. They, they, when they get into a race, <laughs> they will push themselves till they're just broken. Yeah. And I saw that and I was so inspired by, um, by the kids really. It just, I, I watched for a season and I, and then I go, well, I'm probably, I should start doing this too because I, you know, I can kind of show them how And I pr- probably should get my head back in the game as a racer. And, um, so it kinda of depends which avenue we're talking about. There's the business side of cycle U. there's the and then there's my personal journey as a racer and as a you know, guy who loves cycling. And what's kind of rekindled that is working with the kids and working with the juniors and seeing um, how much they put into it and, and, you know, the love they have for the joy and the challenge and how they step up over such bigger challenges than what I have and and get in the race and you know, give it their best and and so I've got to walk my talk, right? And it's like, yeah. got all these kids watching me do my race after their race. And, and so I've kind of gotten back into the last three years, um, gotten more into racing again and, um, set a goal three years ago to, to see how well I could do and try to win masters nationals and cross. Cause I'm, I'm at all the races anyway. And, um, uh, so that's kind of been keeping me going and re sparked So I think for me, setting a higher goal of trying to do well at nationals, Um, Has my personal fire lit again. Um, So I'm an advocate of, you know, just picking something that's kind of a little bit out of reach and just putting it up on your wall. Yeah. And for me, that's always worked from the beginning of my career is just put something, like the first thing I wrote was the Olympic rings. Yeah. And, you know, I never got that close, but that kind of drove the bus and drove my whole progression as I set my sights high. Um, So I still use that. It's like, I, you know, three years ago, I had no idea what it would take. I think I went to Austin at Austin race and got like 45th or 50th and I go, okay, three years from now, let's see what I could do. And so I've been kind of personally focused on that wow. and, um, it's cool. I mean, I feel really lucky now cause I, I'm back to being passionate about my own, uh, racing and that helps feed into everything else I do with cycle U and working with the kids, working with our clients here in Seattle. And, and so it's, it's, it's good.
3: Yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple things there. You know, I, I, I'm the same way. I need to find something that something that you can pin up on the wall and have something to train for. I, you know, I'll always be a cyclist, but sometimes you need a reason to get your leg over the top tube and go out there and do that. Um, and you also mentioned the kids. I've always been a huge advocate of getting kids cyclists. I mean, I, I was one myself, that mutant misfit kid who didn't have any place to go. And, um, and I love seeing that. I Unfortunately, I also see a lot of those kids going to other sports. And now that those sports are demanding year-round commitments, it, it bothers me. But hopefully we can find a way to get those kids out of maybe a couple soccer players here and there, a couple mm-hmm. cross-country runners here and there, and bring them over to the dark side. But, yeah. Um, I love hearing that you guys have, you have thirty over 30 juniors. That that just makes me so happy. Is, is Cycle you primarily a localized kind of an organization? You kind of work around the Seattle area?
0: Yeah, yeah. I kind of burned out on doing the whole internet coaching thing. Like yeah. when I worked with Carmichael, I'd have, you know, 40 clients and people all over the world. And it's like, as soon as I got done with that, it's like, I just want to work local. I just want to, I want to be able to see people. So if I'm going to, you know, even talk to you about, trying to get ready for something. We're going to meet, I'm going to check out your bike. Um, you know, so I'm very hands on it's Seattle only. Um, so yeah, that's where it's at right now. Just, uh, the two shops and, a uh, small team of coaches and yeah.
3: Is there a dream of building it or are you happy where you are?
0: You know, I have had all <laughs> kinds of different ideas. You know, initially my idea was to do online stuff and just spread it out all over the world and it's still kind of in the back of my mind and I've had people help me with that a little bit, but then along came GCN and those guys crush it, you know, it's great, great content. And they're just like, okay, I kind of missed that opportunity. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) not that I would have been able to do it, but those guys are kind of have that handled on a lot of fronts, you know? So the whole, you know, I think there could be opportunity to do some things online that I could share some of the knowledge, share some of our, our how to stuff and our kind of progression. Um, but I, I really enjoy working with people one-on-one and, and, and seeing people. And, you know, like my favorite thing is to be out on a, on a ride, working on the pace line or, um, working on climbing hills or descending. So I'm not sure, you know, just depend on kind of how much help I get and kind of where we're where we're at with, uh, the workload of the clients we have right in front of us.
3: Yeah. Well, I agree with you. It's gotta be, and, and you, we mentioned it several times throughout this, it's gotta be about that community and it's gotta be about, um, the people, even though they are training, you know, you can, Zwift is a lonely world, and, and, but you can come to a place and come to an organization. You can make friends. And I mean, I'm still in contact uh, with people who I raced against you know, who were the who, Karsten, the producer, mm-hmm. one of the producers of the show who helped me get in contact with you. He and I didn't like each other very much as juniors because we were racing against each other. But but you build that I remember
0: community. I yeah, hanging out at R&E, just the shop rat when he was <laughs> young. He was little then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it, it's that. And I yeah, it, the communities, it's cool. when you've been around a while like you and I have. You have that history.
3: Yeah. Well, and hopefully, hopefully that history is something that, that what you're doing is something that is going to... There are going to be people 50 years from now talking about their sport and how much they love the sport because of the fact that they had a, a welcoming environment that wasn't elitist, that, that taught them the ins and outs, that told them how to climb a hill properly and, and what we take as second nature. It, it's something that they, they have picked up and they can eventually figure it out.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's always been my thing is to be the, kind of the friendly ambassador of cycling and right. I, I, for some reason i when i started it was kind of a little bit had an elitist tone to it and still does at times but it's yeah. like let's break that down let's open up our arms and kind of get everyone on bikes and enjoying it and getting the benefit. And that's kind of what it's all about.
3: Right on. Well, Craig, I hope we find more people like you around that can figure this shit out and make it, make (laughs) it, no, I don't mean to sound like I'm kissing up, but who can actually, you know, create that enthusiasm and find a place in it and, and, and and, a sustainable model that can build the sport and help take care of the people who want to build the sport, you know, because we can't, mm-hmm. Some we can do as much as we can, but sometimes you, you can't necessarily do it for free. You got to make a living. You yeah. got to put food on the table and, and it seems like you've got a pretty, pretty cool model over there. So um, congratulations on that,
0: man. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, yeah. Pat. It's great yeah. hearing your name again after all these years. Yeah. And well, connecting I'll, with you. I'll, I'll, dis- dis-
3: I'll disappear soon. Appreciate your time though. <laughs> thanks, man. No,
0: keep it going. I love the podcast. They're great.
3: <laughs> thanks. Makes me want to move to Seattle, it does. It makes me want to move to Seattle just because of the environment that this, that Craig has created over there. He's got people excited about it. He's he's excited about it. I'm not gonna lie. The race there's a lot more racing in Seattle over there too. So it's 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 a eh, it's a decision. Although I can't leave, I can't leave where I am. Spokane's best cycling city in the world. Yes, I'm throwing my gauntlet out there. As I stated earlier, you guys. Uh, we're putting together some web series episodes about bike towns, about bike-friendly cities. And if you think you live in a city that can kick Spokane's ass in terms of quality for cycling, I'm talking road, I'm talking mountain, I'm talking commuting, and I'm talking beer and coffee. Those are the things that I think go into a great bike town. And shops, and events, shit. The list can go on, but I'll probably mar- narrow it down to you know under seven. And we will rank cities based upon how good of a cycling town they are. You think you can do it? You think you got it? You think you got the chops? You think you can take me on a ride and kick my ass? You probably can. So let's do it. Patrick at backfiller.com is the email. We are on Twitter. We're on fucking every single source of social media. We're even on that Row one that nobody's on. I was on Google for a while and nobody was on that. But we're on all those things. So you guys keep uh, checking out the podcast. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We are on that... Uh, the, Spotify. We're on Spotify now, too, so you can get us on that. Spotify's got a pretty cool format, and I know a lot of you guys probably have that on there already, although you shouldn't be writing and listening to this podcast. If you are writing and listening to this podcast, you should have those bone induction headphones, and look out for the car! See? I scared you, didn't I? You probably fell probably in an intersection right now. God, I hope not. I hope not. Don't fall. Don't crash. You guys, place a uh, Pack Filler orders. Uh, Cinco de Mayo is going to be the last day in which that one is available. Go to the Pack Filler website. Click on the link. Click on the thing. Sign up for the thing. Pay them a little bit of money and look really cool and probably earn a beer for me when, you, when I see you sometime this year. That was another episode of the Pack Filler podcast. I'm going to try and be a little bit more update next time. Update. Upbeat next time. Other than that, I got nothing. We'll catch you guys next time.